to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss the topic of reinvesting profits back into the ranch and have a conversation about this. I'm joined today by Dr. Trey Patterson, who's the president and CEO of the Padlock Ranch based in northern Wyoming. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Aaron. Glad to be here. Well, Dr. Patterson, before we dive into today's topic, just share a little bit more with us about yourself, your background, and your current role now with the Padlock Ranch there and, and some of the things that you do in your day-to-day in terms of operations. You bet. So I've, I've been with Padlock for 18 years. Uh, before that, I was an extension beef specialist with South Dakota State University uh, for five years. But in the 18 years that I've been here, part of that was spent as an operations manager. And then in 2014, took the role of uh, CEO and president. And that's what I do today. And I oversee the daily operations on the ranch, although in terms of a lot of the the activities, the tactical things. I have people that that take care of that, that report to me, but certainly oversee the financial aspect of the company, land issues uh, and strategy is a big part of uh, what we do today and board and uh, shareholder relations. Padlock Ranch is a a family owned business started in the early forties and really kind of humble beginnings um, like most you know with a few hundred Hereford cows and just grew over time we operate today in Sheridan County Wyoming and Bighorn County Montana just kind of north central Wyoming is our headquarters uh, near the town of Ranchester Uh, just an extensive pretty extensive cow-calf operation in terms of just keeping costs as as managed as we can but also we have an integrated farm and feedlot on the ranch that we use to um, add value, that use the farm crops to add value to yearling cattle and cold cows and so on. So maybe that gives you a little perspective of, of where I'm coming from. Dr. Patterson, as we look at current cattle prices and really the lay of the land for many cow-calf producers, and I'd say for people who ran yearlings over this year, it looks to be a pretty good year at least better than it's been for several in terms of the prices we're looking to see. I know for many folks, they're saying, hey, we just got to heal up from some drought years and some some more lean years. But for others, there may be an opportunity to reinvest some profits, put some capital back into the ranch operation this year. As you think about that, as you think about capital investment, as you think about business strategy, what are some things that you kind of have in terms of a framework as you think about how you do that and terms of driving the business where you want it to go? Well, I think we always have to be looking ahead of where we are today. And so as I approach these type of decisions, I'm not only looking at the impacts this year, but I want to know how these decisions are going to impact us in the future, at least up to five years down the road. And so we're considering the impacts of these decisions on our financial well-being and risk as we move forward. And and you're right, these markets uh, are strong. They're stronger than I thought they would be. And uh, many reports are suggesting they they should be pretty good for a year or two. And so that's really positive because there has been a lot of of pain, you know, through the low end of the cattle cycle and a widespread drought 
that people in the West dealt with, dealt with a lot of added cost. Uh, we're no different, you know, costs were up not only because of drought, but because of the input cost uh, that goes into, into production. And so I'm sitting here thinking about this, Aaron, and in terms of, yes, when you, when you have higher markets, we, we tend to make more money, hopefully, uh, most of us do. Uh, but we want to be wise about that because one thing that we do know is that the markets are going to change and the weather is going to change. And we just don't know how quickly, you know, you remember the, the peak of the last cattle, cattle cycle, the uh, optimism and enthusiasm that was around that. And it came down just as fast as it went up. And this market, we're hoping it's going to hold up there a little better, but it, it, will, it will come down. And so a big concern that I have right now, maybe to start this off and, and then I can get into maybe some more specifics in answering your question, but a big concern that I have is, is what if these inflationary cost increases do not remediate in the near future, but the market does go down and we know that's going to happen. And so what do our financials look like when that scenario plays out. And so that's kind of what I want to be thinking about right now is efficient use of, of our profits uh, to build for our future and not just living in the now, so to speak. With that in mind, how do you think about, as you think about strategy going forward and you think about, okay, uh, here we are today, we're going to, looks like we're having a good year, going to have potentially a good year in 2024. What do you think about in terms of reinvesting capital back into the business to try to position yourself to best manage a situation where maybe these increased input costs don't remediate, as you say, but uh, we see maybe a more traditional or I would say more typical drop in cattle prices? What are some things you think through with that? Well, I think we want to be looking at in, investing in our, in our future by investing in ourselves and making sure that uh, we're allocating that capital uh, wisely to hopefully improve efficiency moving forward and thus, you know, our, our ability to make profits moving forward. And, you know, to be more specific with that, I, I think about if you've, got, if you've got extra capital, what do you do with it? You, you can put it away and save it for a rainy day, which, which is wise. But you have to you have to be thinking about infrastructure on the ranch, uh, so we'll put that caveat there. You can use that to expand, but you have to be careful with that, uh, with the cost of land and and equipment and so on. So that becomes one consideration. Or one thing that we've been thinking about is is what if we invested uh, invested that in ourselves? Could we improve? our throughput, our carrying capacity, whether that be on the rangeland or in the farm ground, by improving infrastructure, improving water infrastructure, uh, for instance. If we've got areas, and we do, like many people, uh, that water is first limiting uh, on in many years, in most years, not forage, can we increase the number of AUMs that we can put through the system by by improving the water infrastructure what about same thing with irrigation and irrigation efficiency in years where water is short uh, how, can are there technologies that we can utilize like precision 
uh, irrigation. You know, we're already using precision fertilization and and seeding and those type of things. But I want to look at the opportunities to improve our water use efficiency, maybe being able to at least uh, water in zones and fields like we fertilize um, to be able to match production potential uh, to water output. Now, whether you do all that immediately or not, the technology that we invest in, I want to make sure it has that capability uh, so that we're set up to do that in the future. I think that's really important. You know, one thing that I looked at here recently was, you know, our capital budget. And, I, and I'm fairly frugal uh, by nature. I think that helps us to stay profitable. And one of the rules of thumb that we've, we've used, uh, give or take a little bit, was to set our annual capital budget to not exceed what our non-livestock depreciation is during that current year. So in other words, if you got X amount of dollars that you're paying in, in livestock depreciate or non-livestock depreciation, equipment, buildings, and so on, if capital expenditures exceed that, over the long term, you can expect those depreciation costs to go up. And so that rule of thumb ha has really helped us over the years, keep that from getting out of hand and keeping that manageable. The problem now though, is that just on basic equipment replacement, you know, we've, we've optimal economic life of equipment. We know we've got to get rid of some of this and upgrade and change because of, you know, R&M's getting too high and that's eating up that whole capital budget the way I just described it. And so we're starting to say, well, maybe we got, we have to realize that, that we may be moving into a little higher level. I don't like that. I don't want to say that, but I do not think we can ignore infrastructure. And, you know, I'll give you another example of that is uh, we had some employee housing that was in need of repair, upgrade, um, and we've put that off because input costs were so high, right, with the inflation and cost of lumber and availability of contractors. But we've got some really good people living in those homes that we can't afford to lose. And that's one of the big benefits that that we offer, you know, in our, in our business. And so we've made the decision to, you know, kind of break that rule of thumb this year to invest back in some of those those infrastructure projects and employee housing, for instance, but also in some irrigation upgraded pivots and so on uh, to help, you know, just kind of plan that for the future because we, we know we got to have those people in place, uh, but we also we also want to look for ways to to be more efficient. But I do want to model that out. The, what if these input costs kind of stay in the range that they're in today? And what if the cattle prices are like they were in 2019, which weren't terrible, but obviously a lot lower than they are today? What does that look like from, from a financial standpoint? And so I just don't want to guess at that. I want to, I want to have some educated estimates of how that affects our business, you know, and run some, uh, some kind of forecast budgets out into the future to see how that impacts us and make sure we can pay, uh, pay for this, the things that we're investing in today. You mentioned efficiency, thinking about efficiency, cost production. As you look at putting a piece of equipment back into the operation, or you mentioned here, you know, putting some investment back into people, really in the infrastructure of providing, uh, you know, housing that's 
adequate, that's uh, comfortable for them to live in. How do you think those things through as you think about, okay, what's a priority for us? And then, you know, what's something maybe we wait and see if this good time goes into 2024 and 2025? Well, I, th- I think what we do is we plan a capital budget out about five years in advance. And, and so when we put a capital budget together for 2023, we're not only working on that budget, but we're looking out ahead of us in terms of what pieces of equipment are gonna need to be rolled and, and at what time. And, and that helps us to manage that so you don't have all that hit at once. And so it really helps us, really we're putting a priority on that. And, and we just, we sit down as a management team and discuss that. And you know, like you take housing, you know, employee housing, that's pretty easy to put off, but that's one kind of epiphany that I had is, man, I've, we've had some projects that we've been putting off for a while and I don't, input costs have eased up a little bit, uh, but not tremendously and, and they may not for a while. And so are we going to, are we going to let these people live and, you know, in subpar conditions uh, waiting this out? And the answer was no, we had to get some of that on the priority list, but in balance, with the equipment that we needed to place, that we needed to replace, but also uh, we continue to invest in water infrastructure. And so we just piece that out five, kind of five years at a time, and it'll change. We revisit the list every year. And and so uh, there's some things that jump up in the priority list that uh, we did not expect. And so we, we move some things around, but it is a well-planned out approach to make sure that we're managing that and looking at that total investment. And, and you know, you have good profit years. I don't think it's uh, it's bad to invest some of that cash uh, up front to be looking ahead and saying, man, you know, we know that the, this equipment's gonna be coming due, you know, in a couple of years, markets may not be where they are now. We may not have the availability of cash. These interest rates may be higher. Uh, and so maybe this would be a good time to get out in front of that. I don't think that's all bad. I think that's good. We, we've done some of that. We did that at the top of the last cattle cycle and kind of got out in front of some investments. But then we had to decrease that capital expenditure, you know, after we got that done, right? Because you just didn't, we, we wanted to be careful not to move into a, a different level of spending that would throw you out of a, a profitability scenario. And I think, you know, a lot of times people think about, uh, you know, in a good profit year, it's a great time to buy equipment to manage taxes. Well, I think tax management is really, really important. Uh, but but I look at, at the tax side and long-term management decisions somewhat differently. And we, we make decisions in our business that are, that are best for the company in the long term and then work with our tax accountant to figure out how to tell to best manage the taxes within a given year. And we do make some management decisions to manage taxes. You know, for instance, we might decide uh, rather than sell open heifers in the fall of the year, if we're having a good year this year, and we think uh, the oppor- there's profit opportunity and moving some income into the next year, we may retain ownership on those across a, a fiscal year and those type of things. Or like I said, get out ahead of some equipment. But I just don't really subscribe to the aspect of of capital expenditures being a tax management strategy we have to remain frugal and buy the things that we need and at the right time 
uh, to, to make sure that, that we, uh, we're going to stay profitable regardless of what these weathers and, weather and market situations do. Because like I said earlier, they are going to change. Great. I'd like to circle back and just touch on, you mentioned water infrastructure development and livestock water. How do you approach those kind of projects? How do you think those through? And, and what are some things you're considering in light of also some of the technology that's available now in terms of water development? Yeah, really good question. And and I don't know that we have the corner on the best way to do that. But but one thing is is really taking a look at, at the ranch uh, land inventory and understanding where there are areas that we can improve our throughput uh, by water development. And so let, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to back up just a minute and then I'm going to, I'm going to try to answer your question a little more specifically, but let's say that you had an opportunity to expand. Uh, and if you look at what land costs today, if you, you say you were going to buy $5 million worth of land, and depending on where you're at, that, that runs X number of cows. I want to ask ourselves the question, what if we spent $5 million on ourselves? Could we achieve the, the same AUM increase that we could have by investing in, that, in, in other land to expand? And I think a lot of times the answer is you could do a lot more investing in yourselves to improve that efficiency uh, and get that that throughput through your business. Because after all, right, I mean, we make money in this business by really in three ways, by decreasing overheads, increasing our margin per unit or a gross margin, or increasing throughput. And we got to be working on those all the time. And so if we are going to increase overhead costs, some, let's also simultaneously work on that, that throughput. And so I, I can imagine some examples that instead of spending $5 million on this added land, you might could spend a million and get the same AUMs out of it. And, and that works a lot, a lot better uh, from an economic standpoint, obviously. But we identify those areas that, uh, that we think we have opportunity. And uh, usually, you know, water can be pretty, pretty sketchy in our part of the world. We have some areas that have good live water. I know the Sandhills in Nebraska's got you know has has good water, but we have we have areas that that are not, and you don't always hit high volume wells, and you don't always hit water. So we identify those locations to say, you know, here's where that we think we can increase AUMs, and and then what is the best way to to position a well to be able to expand our, our ability to harvest that feed, and we've gone as far now as as hiring a geologist. To help us determine the high, the place where the highest likelihood to tap into water would be, and if we put in a new well, we're going to put that well in with a with a, a water tank or two initially, with a long term plan. Is if that's a good productive well and the water quality is good, uh, they're positioned in a place where we can add on to that over time and put in a water system off of it. So I, I know one mistake we made in the past is have big dreams of a, a huge you know water system. And you go out and invest in all that, and then the well uh, is not near as productive as you thought, and it's a pretty marginal investment. So we we establish that well first, and then add on as we understand the you know the production capacity and quality of water that's in that well, and uh, you know make decisions about whether it's going to be on near power or on solar, 
um, those type of things. You know, we're, we're using a lot more solar wells and areas where we don't have the opportunity for, uh, you know, for a direct power on those just from an efficiency standpoint, uh, because the generators are expensive to run and, and so on. But it, it's been just trying to take a practical approach at that, but continually have that in, in process and reevaluating it every year. So this year we, we might put in a well and decide next year that we're going to put just as much or more money into rather than and develop rather than develop another well and developing water off of that existing well and there's a lot of leverage in that that type of approach for us in a pretty extensive range environment but i've done the math before you know we, we've tapped some wells that uh, i get a call from the field and they say trey you know uh, we thought we were going to hit a, a pretty good well here and this thing's going to only produce three gallons a minute uh, do you want us to go ahead and complete development of it I remember doing that one day just in my pickup on the back of a mineral tag doing some calculations and said man if we could if we could improve uh, the if we think right now that we're getting good utilization within a half a mile of that well if we could because of that of that area because the water we had there was so poor like a, a poor functioning windmill if we added another water source in there uh, we could run X number of AUMs because we'd have this many more acres available to us. And I was shocked when I did that math. And that wasn't anything real scientific on a spreadsheet model. It was just some math, like I say, in the kind of back of the envelope kind of thing. And it was amazing if you if you looked at saying, boy, if I could, if that allowed putting in that that low producing well allowed me to run a hundred cows for say 45 days, and then I calculated within a given year, what we'd have to pay to feed those cows for that 45 day period. And that's the math I did kind of back against the development cost. And it was like, wow, it, it paid for itself in, in like a year and a half. Now that obviously depends on the depth of the well and your produ production level of, of your feed and so on. But those are the kind of uh, thought processes we use in, in putting these things together. As you look at the input side and you think about what are some strategies to try to think about in terms of capital investment with inputs, what are some things you think through with that? Well, I, I think, Aaron, uh, if, if you're looking at, uh, I guess maybe, maybe before I dive into this, clarify what you mean by capital investments in the inputs. Could you give me a little more yeah. So as I think about the input side, I'm thinking about operations, things like fuel, harvested feeds, supplemental mm -hmm. cost, you know, around supplements. Is there any strategies you think through in terms of capital investment there to try to be able to leverage uh, opportunities to buy, uh, thinking about how you might reduce the cost of those elevated inputs uh, by maybe some storage or things like that? Okay, absolutely. I follow you now. So you know what one of the things that i i want to do is understand uh where our profit points are at so basically i want to i want to know uh what our costs are what our base costs are going into a situation and if we buy inputs say at fertilizer or grain or supplements uh, what what is that going to add to that and is that a profitable venture for us to do that. If not, I think you go back to the drawing board and rethink it. Do we want to retain ownership on these cattle? 
Is there opportunity to move them off the ranch rather than buy that feed and so on? Uh, but we use a lot of, of risk management strategies in marketing, but we use also a lot of risk management strategies on the input side. Uh, we'll go out and, and, uh, and do some strip contracts on fuel based off of the, of the oil commodity and, and lock in fuel. If we see a rate to say, boy, we know if we got our fuel bought at this, that we, we can keep our hay and silage costs at a certain level that we know is at a profit point for us. We'll start locking some of that in. You don't have to do 100% because as everybody knows, it, it may go down and it may go up, right? But you can do some of that uh, to lock that in. We do a lot of forward contracting of grains. You know, I've got, I've got a portion of our grains contracted out now, uh, moving forward into 23, 24. I know corn's been coming down. Distillers have been coming down some, but we started to take some bites at it uh, moving forward. And, and some people are like, wait a minute, this could get way better, you know, when we get to harvest. And I hope it does. And I'm not going to feel bad about getting out in front of it and getting some of that locked in because I know I'm doing that at a profitable level, especially, you know, where we anticipate the markets to be. And at the, and simultaneously, we're getting some cattle marketed uh, for out in 2024. And so we're locking in some profits, right? If you lock in input, lock in, lock in some prices with some Ford contracts and so on. It's so pretty uh, risk adverse that way myself. Uh, and some people may may uh, may not be that way, and that's fine. Uh, but I I just look at the volatility that we have today in in markets of all kinds and commodity markets uh, in particular. It, to me, if we if we put to put a budget together and know that at these input costs we can make money with these markets, let's start locking some of that in and locking profit in. And there's some years that may cost you a little bit off the top, but we're leaving enough open, you know, and, and doing that wisely and over a period of time that uh, we're, we're not leaving a lot on the table. But I tell you what, uh, having that done when you go into these, uh, these market events where, where costs go up or markets crash, uh, you can, you'd be amazed how that protects your profitability. You know, think about it in our system, you know, we, we calve in the summertime, you know, in May and June and put calves in, in our grow yard in the fall and sell, sell a lot of yearlings in the spring of the year. Think about COVID in 2020. Our model, that, that was a wreck waiting to happen. We had all that input into the cattle and the markets crashed, you know, in March of 2020. But we had, we had that, uh, those cattle protected. And on the other side, we had a when, when we came out the bottom back side of that and the markets came back a little bit, but the, its inflation started happening, we had some fuel locked in, we had some feed locked in. And so it was able to modulate the negative effects of those and, and keep us well in the, in the profits, you know, that we were comfortable with. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's all really strategic, right? And it's, it's thinking ahead. It's not, to me, you know, when I think about this stuff, it's not getting emotional about it. It's just all business decisions and it's being disciplined uh, to be patient and do it over time to spread risk. And I think that's been our approach and it's worked pretty well, for, uh, you know, for us uh, over time. Trey, I want to circle back to just something you said earlier in our conversation around having a conversation with the team 
around what are some things we should do? And I think that I'd like to just jump on that for a little bit and have you weigh in. How do you think about getting input into decisions in terms of capital investment? What do you do in terms of getting some advice, getting some perspective? How does that help shape and form the plan you develop? Well, I, you know, in our situation, I, I want I want to have input from from people that are are on the ground and working on areas that we need to make improvement. And my job is to present the information to them. This here's where we're at, uh, and we work on putting this five year budget together, so to speak. Uh, this kind of a living document, but. I, I would be blind without that input and advice uh, from our team in terms of uh, what do they see as important. And so we really start out with a just a big old wish list. Just put it all on the, you know, throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. Got a whiteboard and start putting the putting things down, and and then we start bringing it back to reality. And and I as a leader. You know, one of my jobs is I, then I'll start asking questions. Is this a want or is this a need? And if it's a need, can you can we calculate an ROI on uh, on making a change with this, whether it be an upgrade in equipment, putting in a water project, you know, even even to other infrastructure on housing and so on? Is, is what is the uh, what is the value of that to us? And and I one of the one of the rules that we've got. You know, unless we expand in our land mass, is we, we are not going to increase the number of engines on the place. And so I, we'll have some of those things that, that are inputs like, man, it'd be really nice to have, uh, you know, to have this new truck. Great. Let's let's work on that. But what truck is that going to replace? Because I know from experience, we've been able to do pretty well. With that with what we've had before and so that that really leads into a pretty dynamic conversation and brings it down into what do we need versus what would be nice to have it'd be nice for us to have another five or six pickups on the ranch you know we got 36 full-time employees uh, and there's times where we got a few breakdown and everybody knows now how hard it is to get those things out of the shop and back to you um would be nice trey if we had you know if we had three more pickups but, but, you know, kind of stick into our rule of thumb that we're not going to add motors. Uh, we're not going to add steel. Uh, that I think it sure helps, uh, helps drill that conversation down. But I, I want our team to be real with each other. And I'm not afraid uh, if we have a little conflict. If you've got a, tr- a team that trusts each other and you respect each other, uh, it's okay to have a little conflict and a little bit of a heated discussion over some of these things, because, you know, a, a livestock managers may say, boy, I think getting this, this new corral system is absolutely a priority. And the farm manager is saying, well, I, I see your point, but I really think uh, if we had to choose, we've got to, we got to replace this frontline tractor this year. Okay. Uh, let's have a discussion about that. Uh, and, and sometimes we can end up doing both, but a lot of times, in that five-year plan, we say, okay, the farm guy was right. This this machine's got 10,000 hours on it. We're looking at our R&M schedule. It's going up. Um, availability of parts is struggling. we got to replace that tractor. Okay, livestock manager, we'll get your 
corral system on the list uh, for next year. And we'll make sure it's got a little asterisk by it that it gets to be a priority because I see your point that that is that's an important thing. But we have a lot of a lot of back and forth and a lot of discussions about that. And um, and again, it just it's about you know need versus want and uh, and using data that we're generating internally uh, and to to help make those decisions. And some of that gets somewhat subjective, right? When you're talking about housing or a set of corrals uh, and so on. Uh, but And so you have to include the human aspect of it. If people are struggling to do their job because the facilities around them are falling down, uh, that's it's a little bit hard to put a number on that, but we just have to intuitively know that that becomes very, very important. And if it's not on the list for this year, it's gotta be on the list in the coming years. And then once you communicate that, people have peace about it. You know, It's not like, well, dang it, my my deal got slashed, you know, for for this next year. I really wanted that. We couldn't do it, but it keeps us really disciplined uh, about making wise decisions uh, on capital investments. And like I say, the struggle that we're having right now is the base budget we were working on is just barely getting the just bare bones done. And if you do that and you're not continuing to work on infrastructure, that's a problem. And so we see that right now as a real opportunity. Uh, with some added revenues, uh, you know, from the market situation to, to make sure we're getting out in front of some of these infrastructure projects. Trey, anything else on this topic you'd like to highlight today as we point towards wrapping up? Yeah, Aaron, I, I, it's, a, it's a challenging topic. And I think everybody feels different about how to approach this. And there's more than one way to approach it, probably better ways than, than what I've described. But I, my advice to people is use information, you know, collect good information, know your cost, uh, understand the, the market fundamentals, what's, where we're heading into the future, how long we think that may hold and, and, do some, and get some pencil to paper or uh, numbers and some spreadsheets and, and get some information to help you make decisions. I just think doing that off of emotion or just for tax management, or just because you're guessing is really, really dangerous. We're dealing with a lot of capital now, right? Just to buy a tractor, buy a horse, for goodness sakes, is expensive. And so we just got to be really careful. Uh, That doesn't mean you can't replace those. You have to, but you got to be very careful about it because there's a lot of money at play. And with interest rates, you know, pushing up, if if this economy stays soft and, and if you know we go into a recession and these markets uh, don't hold up, there could be some really tough times. And so that's what keeps me awake at night is not the today. It's that I know that the decisions we're making today are going to impact us five years from now. And what's the world going to look like five years from now? And so I want to be thinking through those scenarios. Uh, as we're making these decisions. So that's a little bit philosophical, I get it. But I think that having that kind of thought process maybe helps you avoid making uh, you know some mistakes that could really hurt your business because there's a lot at risk right now. Well, Trey, I really appreciate your time, your perspective and thoughts today. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Well, I should mention to you that Trey is a part of a team that's going to be teaching at the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management coming up here in October. Uh, the 20th annual Holt Cat Symposium 
on excellence in ranch management. Uh, much of the topics we discussed today are part of that, and that's available in person and online. Also, there's an article that's in the August issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled, What Will You Do With Profits?, that also addresses this topic.